we start off this morning, and uh, I wonder, I have a question. What do you guys do, whether you're here with us in person, whether you're watching online, what do you do when God doesn't seem fair? What do you do when you have these moments in which you look around you and things don't seem fair? Maybe it's the fact that growing up, your older sibling got everything they ever wanted, and you don't have anything. Didn't seem fair. Maybe it's the idea of you wanted to get into a certain school and, and you worked really hard and you tried your best and yet you weren't able to get in and yet someone who just skated by, uh, but maybe they just were able to pass the test better, whatever it is, but they get into the school that you always wanted to and it doesn't seem fair. Maybe it's at work when you end up working really hard and you're doing a, all this um, working hard, spending extra hours, dedicating your life to this company, dedicating your time to this company, and all of a sudden, someone who is on your team who knows your boss's boss gets promoted. Doesn't seem fair. Maybe it's when you're in a group project and you do all the work. Someone else gets all the credit. Doesn't seem fair. Maybe it's in a Marriage, when one side wants to make it work, the other side doesn't. And the one who wants to make it work isn't in the wrong, and the one who doesn't want to make it work or wants to have the divorce is the one that maybe did some things that they shouldn't have, but to the one who wants to keep working and try to keep making it happen, the other person wants to leave, and it doesn't seem fair. See, we have this idea where deep ingrained in us is this idea of how important it is for things to feel fair, to feel right. Like, I'm not very competitive um, when it comes to, like, sports, mostly because when you lose all the time, that competitive fire just kind of crashes. Um, so when you're used to losing, you're like, oh, well, let's all play fair. So I, I don't get fired up when I'm uh, in, in competition with someone and I lose because, you know, expected. But when it's not fair, when it feels like something is not right, when it feels like, you know, the, the ref is favoring one side or the other, if it feels like you're playing dodgeball and I'm like, whenever I do youth ministry, dodgeball is the ultimate test of integrity, right? Because I see the ball hit you and you're like, no, it didn't. I'm like, hey, you're not fair. So this idea of fairness is ingrained in so many of us. And I know that might feel like a heavy start, but we are going to go into, over the next five weeks, a heavy book in the book of Habakkuk. A book in which God, it's, the series is called When God Doesn't, because there are several times it looks like God doesn't do or doesn't act or doesn't say or doesn't think the way that we think he ought. Because we've been created in the image of God, which means that we've created with this idea of justice inside of us, because God is a just God. We've been created with that ingrained in the fiber of our beings, and yet when God doesn't seem to be acting in conjunction or along those same lines, we say, God, this doesn't seem fair. What do you do when God doesn't seem fair? Will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready for the sermon this morning? Father, we know that you are good. We know that you are with us. God, we try to 
experience um, or we try to move forward in what fairness looks like or we try to have this idea of something that seems right and something that seems wrong and why is it or what do we do when it seems like we try to do all the right things but the results don't seem fair. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you have for us this morning through this specific passage in the book of Habakkuk but also through the entire book and throughout this entire series, when we wrestle with things, when it seems like you're not doing things, we think, we think you ought to. So Lord, we pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be in Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And as you're turning there, whether you're watching online or you're on your phone or it's on the screen, whether you're here, you have your Bible in person, or whether you're watching or looking on a screen, Habakkuk 1 uh, is in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. Minor doesn't mean unimportant. Minor means smaller in length. So with that um, idea, so major is longer in length, minor is smaller in length. So with that in mind, none of my sermons are ever minor. Am I right, guys? So this idea of recognizing that it's a minor prophet, but he's got a major message for all of us. And the background of the, the book of Habakkuk is that this is written, the, the, the timeline is between 620 and 605-ish BC. So um, it's, it's kind of right around there, but not much is known about Habakkuk himself biographically. Uh, but we do know that Habakkuk is the, the, uh, the author of it, uh, the, one, the prophet that many prophets um, uh, in the Old Testament are people who have a message from God and they share it to the people. You think about Isaiah trying to call the people to judgment and then comforting them. You think about Jeremiah saying, you know, break the yokes of the false prophets and follow the true pro- I mean, follow the Lord. So most of the time, prophets are people who have a message from God and then displays, or excuse me, um, explains that to the people. But Habakkuk is unique in the sense of his whole conversation, or his whole book of, the, of being a prophet, is a, a conversation between him and God. He doesn't actually speak to the people. And the reason that he's having this conversation, he complains, and then God responds, and then he complains, and God responds, and then he has a prayer. That's, that's the book of Habakkuk, and we'll break those down more over the next few weeks. But Habakkuk is looking because in 609, the, king, the good King Josiah, the king of Judah, was one of the good ones, and he, at a young age, um, he became king. He ended up bringing Josiah's reforms. In other words, he brought back out the word of God. He destroyed all of the idolatrous altars uh, nearby. He brought people back to focusing on the covenant that comes in a relationship with God and his people, and so Josiah was a good king, and then Josiah in 609, in the Battle of Carchemish, is killed. And it seems, I wonder, as an Israelite or as a Judah, um, someone from Judah, saying, God, how come all these bad kings live a long time, but a good godly king dies early in battle? God, that doesn't seem fair. So after his death in 609 BC, the, the nation, Judah, starts to fall away from the Lord again. And Habakkuk, if we're using, let's use the timeline. I'm, I'm, I'm going to lean towards the timeline of this being written about 605. There's, a, there's a, a range, but around 605, because Habakkuk looks around. He sees the country, and he sees how far they've fallen from where they originally were, how much they've rejected the Lord, 
how much they've fallen away from what God has said and that they've fallen away from all the reforms of Josiah. And he cries out to him. And this is how he starts in Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 5, or excuse me, 1 through 4. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me take a look at, or excuse me, make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous and, the ju- and that justice is perverted. See, he's looking around and he says, God, things are falling apart. How long must I reach out to you before you answer. Without a show of hands, how many of you, how many of us have at one point or another asked the question of God, how long are you going to be silent to my cry? How long will this, will my child be wayward and fall away? How long will our marriage be unloving? How long until you respond, God, because we need healing How long, Lord? Because it seems like you're silent. It seems like you're not listening. And if you are listening, it seems like you don't care enough to do something. What do we do when God doesn't seem fair? We cry out. We yell in anger. Sometimes we get apathetic. Maybe we become like the nation of Judah where we, at one time, we're doing the right things and we say, well, what's the point? And we fall away. What do we do when God doesn't seem fair? And so we, we, we have to sit in this with a Habakkuk for a few moments because as he's sharing all these different things, that there's injustice all around, there's violence all around, that God has the power to save, as verse 2 says, I cry out to you violence, but you do not save. So God, we know that you're good. God, we know that you are able. We know that you are powerful. We know that with, as Exodus talks about, with the exhaling of his nostril, that he parts the Red Seas. That's how powerful he is, right? That he holds the whole universe in the palm of his hands, and yet he still extends that same hand into relationship with us. He's both incredibly powerful and, and huge, and he's also incredibly near us. And intimate. So God, we know you can save. Why is it that violence reigns? Why is it that our country isn't where it needs to be? Why isn't it that justice has been perverted? Because again, we've all been created with a sense of justice inside of us because we are created in the image of a just God. So this is the tension that Habakkuk feels. And, and unlike me, I, when, I, when I'm praying or I'm frustrated or I'm, you know, processing things, I kind of repeat myself or I kind of, you know, I kind of think about a lot of stuff and I'll pray. He just keeps it in four words, or excuse me, four verses, right? Or three verses, rather. And he just leaves it there. And then God answers. After Habakkuk crying out, how long, Lord, until you respond? How long till you act? How long? And many of us have heard this how long question, and we've, excuse me, we've asked this how long question to God. 
And then God answers and we're ready. We're waiting with bated breath for our good God, our powerful God to respond in a way to show us how he's going to answer our prayers, how he's going to rescue us from the violence, how he's going to make sure that justice rolls like a river, that he's going to be able to ensure that we are safe and that we are healed and that we are free and that we are back to where we want to be. And this is how God responds. This, this verse in verse five, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And I had a friend in college that this was her favorite verse because she's thinking, look, let's look at the nations and watch, be amazed at what I'm going to do. Now, uh, when you're, um, Elise is in kindergarten and they teach, you know, we're, we're learning like reading comprehension, right? Where you read what's going on. It's like Johnny fell down. Johnny hurt himself. Johnny is sad. And then it'll be like, why is Johnny sad? Like, well, because gas prices are high. Very clearly that is why he's sad. No, it's like, no, you based on the comprehension, you say, well, he fell down and got hurt, right? Like that's, that's basic recent reading comprehension. And we all get that. The difference is, is that we are trying as, as English speakers, reading a text that has been translated from Hebrew, we look into it with our definitions of words and comprehension takes an extra step back. Because when my friend looks at that verse or when she did uh, in college and it said, look to the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. God's going to do something in your days that you wouldn't believe even if he told you. If I say it like that, that word amazed, oh my gosh, God is amazing. He's going to do incredible things. This is going to be the greatest news, the greatest victory, the greatest rescue. God's power will reign. And so we need to look at it not through our reading comprehension, English understanding of the word amazed, but the word of that, that word is this idea of being utterly amazed is utterly dumbfounded, utterly just struck. Like just, you're just struck by what's happening. It's, your mouth is agape, not necessarily in the positive connotation of amazement that we would put upon that word, but in the negative connotation of, I don't even understand what you're saying. Because here's how God continues that. God has been silent. God finally responds. He says, look to the nations that we watch. Be utterly amazed. Be utterly dumbfounded about what I'm going to do. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So Habakkuk is sitting here that God... It's not fair. Look at what's happening around me. And God says, and he says, how long until you respond? How long until you save us? How long until you restore justice so it's no longer perverted? And God says, look at what I'm going to do. The worst nation in the world is going to take over you. The one whose power and the one whose their God is themselves, their own honor, their own strength. I'm going to use them to teach you a lesson. This is devastating. 
This doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem fair. Because God and Israel, I mean, they're, they're, God, they're God's people. They have an, an established covenant through Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 in which God says, through you, Abraham, you're going to have many um, siblings, siblings, excuse me, you're going to have many descendants. It's going to be like the stars in the universe. You're going to have a land. You're going to have my, you're going to be my people. And so Habakkuk's going back to this thing, God, we're your people, right? And he says, yeah, but you've gone so far. And you've forgotten me so much, and you've broken covenant with me so deeply that I need to teach you a lesson by showing you that the harshest nation in the world, when all the descriptors for verses 6 through 11 there, they're the ones that I'm going to put over you. And we're going to stop here today because there's enough tension in these 11 verses, and we've got four more weeks in this series to be able to unpack questions like, what do we do when God doesn't make sense? What do we do when God doesn't stop evil? What do we do when God doesn't show up? And we'll spend time in those sections over the next few weeks. And so if you or someone you know or someone you're watching online and you know someone who we're asking and wrestling with big questions, what do we do? For today, when God doesn't seem fair. And so what I need to do in order to unpack this a little bit is to break down, you know, one of the words in here, we talk about the idea of, of justice, right? And we often can interchange the idea of, of fairness and justice, what it means to be fair and what it means to be just. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to pull up the, a definition of the two over here. So justice is based on what is right, guided by truth, reason, in accordance with requirements. So we are created in the image of a just God based on he will do what is right. Doesn't mean we always like what he does, but, but God isn't going to do the wrong thing in his very nature. We may think he does it the wrong way, but thanks be to God that he made us in his image and we can't make him into ours and how we want him to be because then all of us would be, have a different idea of who God is, but he is just. And so when he talks about justice has been perverted, God is going to use an instrument of justice in the Babylonians that would be the harshest instrument for the Israelites and for the Judah, excuse me, for Judah to be able to understand and comprehend why he would do that. And so God is just. He's fully loving. He's fully just. But we often, again, we, we maybe not confuse, but we use justice and fairness as, as if they're the same word. But they're not the same word exactly. In fact, there's a story in Matthew uh, 20. Um, you can look at it later. Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the vineyards. And in the workers in the vineyards, it's a story of a master or a man who owns land. And he calls, he asks people to start working his land for a day. And there's some people who start working at the very beginning of the day and they work all day. That there's another group of servants or, or hired hands who go and they work um, for several hours. They come a few hours later and they work. And then there's another group who comes and they work for a few more hours. So we're thinking by the end of the day, one group's worked like 12, one group's worked like nine, one group's worked like six. And then at the end, there's one where it says, and there's a final group who were hired one hour before the workday was done. And so at the end of the day, 
the agreed upon price was that the master would pay them in a denarius, which is a day's worth of work. It's a, it's a coin that symbolized a day's worth of work. And so then what happens is that at the end of the day, um, the people who had been working all day saw those who had just worked for an hour, and they get a full denarius. They get a full uh, day's worth of work. So then they're thinking, the people who've been there all day are like, oh, well, we're, like, we're going to get more because we've worked longer, right? This master must just be very generous because he gave a day's worth of work for an hour. What's he going to give to us for a day's worth of work? He goes and they get the payment and it's a denarius, the same amount of money that the person had only worked for a day. And they complain to him saying, this isn't fair. They, we've been working all day and they just started working. And he says, I'm not being unfair to you. Matthew 20 says, I'm not being unfair to you. You'd agreed to a denarius. I'm giving you a denarius. I'm being just. I'm doing what I said is right. These are the requirements that we've discussed about you working. And I've done that. I'm not being unfair to you. And then he says, ought I not be able to be generous to those I want to? That we often apply our own sense of fairness and we think that that's God's sense of justice when they're not always the same thing. That God is, is just, but let's look at this definition for fair. If we could pull that one up. So justice is based on what is right, guided by truth, reason, and in accordance with requirements. Fairness is free from bias, dishonesty, and injustice. So those last two ideas, free from dishonesty, is God fair because he's free from dishonesty? Absolutely, unequivocally, 100%. Is he, free, is, he, is he fair because he's free from injustice? Well, yeah, we just talked about how that is core to who he is. He cannot be unjust. But is he always free from bias? Because if we're asking the question, what do we do when God doesn't seem fair? Fairness? If, 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 if God was unbiased completely, wouldn't fairness imply that you and I die for our sins, not Jesus? That Jesus could have said, had he wanted to, I'm without sin. I knew no sin. I'm dying on behalf of people who will sin, who will reject God. That doesn't seem fair. But God's idea of justice is that there needs to be requirements for the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. Fairness, if there was no bias, then it means God would have to look at each and every one of us. He would have to look at you here, you who are watching online, people in the tech booth, me. He would have to look at us and purely decide whether we can have a relationship with him in eternity based on our own goodness. Because our righteousness, as Isaiah says, is filthy rags. That we, that there are none who are righteous, no, not one, as Paul says in Romans 3. So, God is without just injustice. He is without dishonesty, but he's biased in the sense of he loves his children. In the sense of Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we who are sinners could experience eternal life. What do we do when God doesn't seem fair? Well, 
in some senses, in, in this case, we can complain. Yes, God wants to hear our complaints. We can cry out. He, he can handle our anger. We can get frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to what Jesus did in his atoning work on the cross for our sins, what do we do when God doesn't seem fair? When Jesus dies on the cross for us for our sins, which wouldn't be fair, we praise him that God, in this case, has shown that he's less worried about our sense of fairness and more worried about his sense of justice. That justice had, there had to be a shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins, and it could have been every one of us, and we never would have been able to experience right relationship with him. But he sent Jesus so that we'd be able to experience it because he would take all that burden and he would take all that sin and he would take all that weight and he would take all that shame and that when he sacrificed himself through his perfect life, horrible death and was raised to new life, we would experience the invitation for eternal life. Jesus' death on the cross is not fair to him. And so we have been the recipients oftentimes of God giving generously, just as he gave to the workers in Matthew 20. He gave to us that we didn't deserve it. He gave to us, even though we are not the ones that can do it on our own. When God doesn't seem fair, it may help us, may help me to remember that it's because of his bias towards his kids, his love for his kids, that Jesus took that upon himself. There's a story that's told of a king who was sitting on his throne and had to judge when there were um, people who had hurt, uh, broken the law, that they had done something wrong. And he's sitting there and he's in his place as judge, as, as dispensing justice. And as he does, he hears the story of a woman who is a thief and comes before him. And he sees that the woman who was a thief was his own mom. And without hesitation, he says, justice must be served. This woman must be whipped for her crimes. Make sure that declaration is there. And then without hesitation, he puts down his royal scepter, takes off his crown, removes his robe. As his mom is being locked on to where she would receive the lashes and she's tied up to the pole. He comes around her and puts his bare back to where the whip would be, protecting his mom and says, may the punishment, may justice be served. And he receives the lashings that were meant for his mom. See, fairness would say she deserves that. Justice says it needs to happen Fairness says she deserves it. The gospel says Jesus takes that punishment for us. So what do we do when it seems like God doesn't seem fair? We pray, we cry out to him, we do those things, but we ought to also not forget that it's his bias towards us, that his, the discipline that he shows his kids, the love that he's lavished upon us, that we may be called children of God, that he allowed us to have a right relationship with him. And because of that, Jesus experienced the cross and death on our behalf. 
So we're going to unpack more of Habakkuk over the next several weeks. We're going to unpack more of what to do when God doesn't do things that we think he should do. But if we leave here with nothing else today, whether you're here in person or watching online, may we leave here with an acknowledgement of God's love and his bias for us. Not that he's not just, but that he will make sure the requirements of justice are taken care of because of what Jesus did. So we may have right relationship. And may we leave this place remembering that sometimes, just sometimes, it's comforting or it's good to know that God isn't always fair when it comes to bias because of his love towards you, towards me. And if there's anyone who is watching here who is in person or anyone who's watching online who doesn't know who Jesus is yet, we assume that people who come to a church service will understand the power of the gospel. People who are watching online, we assume people know the story of the gospel, but the story of the gospel is the story of that king who was had all power to dispense justice. And then Jesus, as our King of kings, Lord of lords, comes and takes the punishment for our sins so we may be in right relationship with him. And so will you join me in a word of prayer, those of you who are here, if you already know Jesus, those of you who are watching, if you already have a relationship with Jesus, I'm gonna ask during this prayer that you pray for those who are here listening to my voice right now that don't know him yet. I'm going to ask those of you who know Jesus to pray for those who have known him, but maybe like the people in Judah, they were following him for a while and then they fell away because of circumstance. Pray for, pray for them. And for those of you who don't know him yet, you're in, you, you don't even know what's going on with all this, but you, you feel that quickening in your heart to, to say that trusting Jesus is what I need to do right now because he took punishment for my peace then this is an opportunity for you to pray to receive Christ. So will you all pray with me? If you don't know Jesus yet and you want to welcome him into your heart right now, you say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot know you on my own goodness. I acknowledge that I fall short, but I also acknowledge that Jesus took the punishment that was meant for me so that I may receive the blessing that is meant for your children. I place my life and my heart into you now, Jesus. I surrender it all to you. Make me who you want me to be. And thank you that you are biased towards your children, that you love us so much that you died for us. I'm yours now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.